Welcome to Insight Aviation, helping you to take a look inside the world of captains, aerospace professionals, air traffic controllers, and much more. Learn how they got started, where they are now, and their advice for aspiring aviators. This series is brought to you by Wayman Aviation Academy. Learn to fly with a safe, reliable, professional academy. Located between Miami and Fort Lauderdale in sunny South Florida, USA. Enjoy the training and cosmopolitan life with Wayman's 42 aircraft, six airline partners, and two bases to help you be the captain. And welcome to Insight Aviation, where we welcome uh, pilots, captains, air traffic controllers, and aviation professionals from around the industry. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, uh, Rob Dumovic, who I've had the pleasure of, of meeting and getting to know uh, at the air shows. Uh, he's got a really interesting background uh, in, in aerobatics as a flight instructor and just has a really interesting point of view on becoming a professional pilot. Uh, Rob, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello and welcome. My name is Rob Dumovic and uh, I'm, one of those, uh, I'm one of those weirdo pilots. I decided very early on to be a professional flight instructor. And so, oh, I got to start my video. I got to click a button. And uh, the professional flight instructor means that I get to do a lot of things with a lot of very interesting people. And uh, it's a a great honor to finally get onto uh, this program here after, when did I first meet you, Eddie? Like 2016 or something like that? That's right, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I think that might have been either my first or second Sun and Fun, which was kind of a fluke as to why I was there. Um, okay. I, I think that first son and fun, actually, no, I met you in 2017. It was my second son and fun, mm-hmm. but it was, uh, my first son and fun. I was in the shower like two days before the show. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm an adult. I have money. I can go to this thing that I've never <laughs> been to. And I was like, I gotta go. So yeah. it was, uh, it, everything that's kind of come about with, uh, with meeting you and everything was, was mainly because that decision in the shower. So, uh, <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Good to see you again, my friend. You know, those moments of clarity, moments of levity usually come in the shower, right? Or when you're going for the run and you're not thinking about stuff, you're like, oh, wait a second. I could totally do this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and at some point, I'm sure they clicked in your head like, hey, I can fly extra 300s and be an aerobatic pilot, right? And, and uh, Yeah. You can do yeah that. I, 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 think, uh, I think the desire to fly extras uh, started at a, at a very young age, especially uh, to be a pilot and even then an aerobatic pilot. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my my desire, my passion for aviation started when I was about this many and I saw the movie Top Gun and I was like, man, that's awesome. I want to go fly fighters. And I think that uh, I think that has happened to a lot of people who are in the field right now. Uh, they Absolutely. saw you know, Top Gun at a very young age. Yeah. You know, uh, at our flight school, we actually uh, in this hangar, you see that the movie screen in the background we yeah. actually had screenings of Top Gun on that on that in the hangar. Yeah. I, I think that's the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. And it usually is a story like that, right? Uh, someone's very young, somebody interested you. Um, let's start there. Uh, you got interested in aviation at that year's old. Was it seeing Top Gun? Do you have any family members or any other exposure to aviation outside of that? No, no family members. Uh, I'm the first generation pilot for the Dumovics. And I took my first airplane ride in a Cessna 172 with a family friend when I was in the seventh or eighth grade. Uh, and I already knew at that point I wanted to be a pilot. Nice. And then fast forward, applied to two colleges, the Air Force Academy and Kent State University. Oh, Didn't wow. quite do the right things to get into the academy as far as, you know, get good grades, but uh, <laughs> made it to Kent State University, which has a fantastic flight program and earned all my. 
Oh, you did. Ah. Well, I'll come back to that, but please continue. <laughs> uh, I obtained all my licenses and ratings at Kent State, but I say that I learned to fly at my hometown airport because that's where I first got into tailwheel flying. Mm. My mentor, John Dye, had convinced the airport owner, who was rather brand new, he he'd bought the airport probably a year or two prior, uh, he convinced him to purchase a 7 ECA Citabria. And when this thing showed up with a starburst paint scheme and blue and white uh, color scheme, I was like, that is awesome. I can't wait to fly it. And I was the first person to go through the tailwheel program. Nice. Now, John Dye is a master CFI, aerobatic. He's uh, retired now, 7576 captain for United. He runs a, an upset recovery training school and wow. in uh, um, it's kind of Boardman Canfield, Ohio area, Youngstown, Ohio area. Okay. And I got to be the first one to go through that program. Then when he convinced them to buy a super decathlon, I was the first one to go through that program. And that was where I really learned about flying airplanes because for the first time I was in an airplane that would talk to me and tell me what it wanted. And all this talk previously about adverse yaw and you put the ailerons to the left and the nose goes right. I never saw it until I first got into that Citabria climbing out, went to turn crosswind, put the stick to the left, the nose went to the right. And I went, that's what my feet are for. <laughs> I was already a commercial single engine pilot working on my multi. And I didn't know how to use my feet flying Cessnas my entire career. Sure. And what I learned from that was that the airplanes have their own language. And some of them are loud talkers. Some of them are whisperers. Some of them are close talkers. Some of them are frankly psychotic ex-girlfriends. But it, all in all, if you learn their language and how they're communicating what they need, that will make you a better pilot in knowing how to put in a rudder input with a stick input or how to change power with an elevator input. And, and all these are the things that the airplanes want and need to make us a better in-tune pilot. And that's the difference between being a pilot and an airplane driver. And I think the Pipers and the Cessnas, uh, unfortunately, don't challenge us enough as pilots to make us really, really good, unless you have that really good mentor, mentors that I've had along the way that helped me to understand the language of the airplane and how to fly it really, really well. So yeah. it's not that it's impossible to learn how to fly these the, you know, Pipers and Cessnas very, very well, but it takes some really skilled guidance because the airplanes are so friendly. And well, exactly. So that's, you know, I was just thinking about that. It's best selling point and attribute is that it is a very complacent, easy to fly airplane. It's very forgiving. And that's yeah. why it's great for low time students that are, you know, getting their private or their instrument. But it seems from your point of view, it was an interesting point of view, is that it's also its greatest weakness because it doesn't challenge you. Yeah. And so, I mean, you take it back to World War II when we were taking 20, 21, 22 year olds at very low times, 200 some hours and putting them into 1200 horsepower fighter airplanes and telling them to go fight the Germans and having great <laughs> success at it. Yeah. Now you couldn't take a 200 hour pilot who learned exclusively in a Cessna and put him in a P-51 and expect that to, to turn out well. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, what, what kind of changed? And I know military training and all that is, is a bit different from the civil civilian world, but that doesn't mean that we can't still have high standards and adapt the way that we're teaching to make sure that we're giving pilots the skills that they need. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's let's take it a step back into into your path into to becoming a pilot. Are you from the Ohio area? I didn't realize that. Yeah, I, I was born and raised just south of Youngstown, Ohio, in a little town called Salem. Nice. And Kent State University was about forty-five minutes up the road. Uh, and they have a fantastic flight program out there that I was very proud to be a part of and to to teach there. 
uh, after my uh, before and after my graduation. Um, and I also got to teach at my hometown airport and uh, fly with some of the local pilots in their tailwheel airplanes as well. Nice. For, for everyone that's watching, please let us know where you are, what city you're in, in the chat, or if you're watching us on Facebook. I think you're streaming this also on Twitch and, and anywhere yep. else? Yeah, so uh, no, nowhere else right now. Okay. Uh, well, so right now, I'm in Boston. You're in Boston. And I got hired here by the totally awesome dude, Michael Goulian, mm -hmm. to take over the aerobatics program, which is, uh, <laughs> I still I still can't. I still can't quite figure out how it all worked because <laughs> there was, there was one day I had been teaching at the university. It was 2013 and I was starting to get um, a bit burnt out. You know, that can happen in the education world and was uh, preparing my resume and looking for other opportunities. I was going to go fly cargo. So I had a fresh resume ready and I'm scrolling through Facebook and I don't remember ever adding Michael Goulian as a friend, ever liking Mike Goulian air shows, none of that, but there was this, post Mike Goulian Air, uh, Mike Goulian Aviation. Actually, it was executive flyers at the time looking for an aerobatic flight instructor must have time in super decathlons and extras send your resumes to. And I went, well, I got about a hundred hours of tailwheel, 20 hours of super D time and 0.5 and an extra 200. Yeah. <laughs> what can hurt? So I sent my resume and little, you know, uh, I got an email back. I think this was a Thursday. I got an email back on Monday saying, hey, we were, looked at you, we would, uh, would be honored to get you out here to Boston mm -hmm. to take a look at the school and do an interview and, and all that. What do you say? And I couldn't believe I got an email back. But the problem was I couldn't afford to fly out to Boston. Sure. I couldn't afford the flight. I couldn't afford the hotel. Like I was like, ah, thank you very much for the opportunity. I have to decline respectfully at this time. I just can't afford it. And I was just upright and honest. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we're going to the Dayton Air Show in a week. Nice. Do you want to meet us down there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll go to a free air show. <laughs> <laughs> of course, right? And, and I'm like, well, all right, but can I bring my dad? And he said, yeah, sure, bring your dad. We'll put you up in our chalet. Mike does this right. awesome thing. He's got a NASCAR hauler, and he puts the chairs out, as you know. Yeah, uh, And it's got an awning and, and food and all kinds of displays and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, sure, we'll go out. So my dad and I make the journey down. Uh, and he was the one that took me to my first air show at the Youngstown Air National Guard Base, Air Reserve Base, uh, back in like 1987 or 88, something like that. I was young. Oh, it had to be 91. Anyway, uh, so I'm like, this is this is so appropriate that I that I take him because he's been a part of of, uh, of fostering this passion for aviation my entire career. So we get down there, and it it was the weirdest interview I've ever had in my life because <laughs> it was Michael Gullion me and my dad <laughs> yeah how long did their dad come along let alone to me like a legend <laughs> yeah but mike was totally cool with it and the very interesting thing happened uh that has happened a handful of times in my flying career it stopped being an interview and it turned into a conversation between two people that love airplanes that's the best and within 15 minutes he stopped using if statements and started using when statements that's nice. uh, about when you come to boston when you when you're working for us i'm like that's nuts he hadn't even officially offered anything to me yet but i noticed that change and we sat there for 45 minutes until he had to go get ready for his show uh so like that was that was the first like, holy cow, life is about to change and go in a completely new direction. In a big way. Uh, Let's yeah. take a minute right there, because a lot of the people that are coming to, well, two things I want to touch on, right? Is for mm -hmm. those of you that don't know who Michael Goulian is, it's a great time to Google him. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So if you're a fan of aviation, you've probably been to an air show. Those of you that are international, I know air shows are not as common. Get yourself to an air show. Sun and Fun just happened here in Florida about a month and a half ago. Oshkosh, the biggest air show in the country, is coming up in July. Find the nearest air show to you. And you will see something like what's in the background here of Rob, just a bunch of people walking around admiring planes of all shapes and sizes. And you get to see some of the most amazing pilots doing things that boggle the mind, like Michael Goulian, who's a champion aerobatic pilot, Red Bull racer. Um, uh, watch the videos. Right? Yeah. I can't really explain, explain what it is to see an extra 300 do its aerobatic flight and dance. Um, so that's a, definitely something I want to touch on right away. But you mentioned their interviews. And yeah. that's something that comes up on this quite a bit because a good part of our audience are pilots that are young in their career or, or maybe looking to make that next move. And you hit on something really I like there a lot. When an interview turns into a conversation, you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right? Yeah. You know, it just comes to that point. And I hear the same from airline pilots. When you get to an airline level interview, you know how to fly. You've got thousands of hours in the logbook. Everyone knows you're probably already typed. They want to know if they can spend three days with you on the road, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Those and skills are so critical. Absolutely, and th- that also I think goes hand in hand with your checkride technique and skills and how you approach a checkride. Mm-hmm. And for the first, I don't know what four or five checkrides that I took. Uh, plus, I was at a 141 school, so we had stage checks. Mm-hmm. I was nervous. Sure. I was terrified going into the checkride, and. Don't. CFI leading up to that, I did not want to be a CFI, did not want to do it at all. I didn't want the responsibility of trying to take an 18 year old who can barely drive a car and giving them the third dimension and 2000 pounds of aluminum and flammable liquids. It's probably not the way to think of it, but (laughs) I didn't want that responsibility. So while I was doing that training, I was also working as the commercial pilot, giving airplane rides at the local hometown airport in Salem. And the reaction of the uh, the customers every time we got out of the airplane was always the same. I loved that. That was awesome. This is cool. I can't wait to, to do this again. And I thought, you know what? I love this. This was awesome. It is cool. And I just got to share it with somebody. And so I realized that a check ride is just another opportunity to fly with someone else who loves flying airplanes as much as I do. And then I get to demonstrate to them how much I love flying those airplanes. And so my previous check rides where I was nervous and, and sitting in the hoping to answer the, the, the rote information, my CFI check ride, I was sitting back in the chair. I was just chill, was asking him questions. He was asking me questions. He's like, why don't you tell me how this works? I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. Let me draw it out on the board for you. And the attitude, the approach, everything behind taking a check ride and an interview changed once I realized that I was just sharing this thing that I loved with other people. And so that's how I approach interviews and check rides and things like that now. And I'm training, yeah, I'm training to be a DPE with the Boston FISDO out here. And that's how I want to come into the check rides. I want to make the candidate, the applicant, feel that same way. Like, Hey, I love flying airplanes. You love flying airplanes. That's right. We're going to go fly an airplane here in a little bit. We're going to talk about it first and then we're going to go do it. So (laughs) just do this thing that you love to do and you'll have a great time. Yeah, absolutely. I always say that examiners, uh, they're not there to fail anyone. In fact, I've had examiners come to me. We had a string of three students who just weren't cutting the mustard, right? And uh, the examiner comes and knocks the door. He's like, hey, I don't come here to fail students. Like, what's going on? Right. So we had to dig in and kind of and, and kind of do a little bit of course correction there. 
And, and I love that. I love that he came to me and said, like, I don't come here to fail students, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I come here to, to make sure they're safe, you know, and keep, and, and keep applying. Um, so it's a great hazard. So that's something we can definitely dive into maybe a little bit later is becoming a DPE. That's a big step. Uh, yeah. How many hours are you at now? You've been in the industry for a while. Oh, I'm just north of 8,000 or so. I've flown 50 different types of aircraft, including some experimental ones, blimps, helicopters, and uh, uh, done some test flying for aircraft that were working towards certification for Part 23. And unfortunately, I can't talk a whole lot about that yet, the, the contract stuff, but it was a lot of fun. I bet. Uh, test flying this aircraft for a local company up here. And uh, we actually did manage to get the aircraft certified. So uh, really, really awesome stuff that was going on there. But That's uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you take an opportunity to, to fly and experience, gain as much experience as you can in all these different airplanes. And you start to see how they're all really the same. They all behave the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it's very rare to have one that's performing differently. And, and I'm saying that in the most general sense of up, down, left, right. Sure. That's interesting. So uh, 50 types, do you have a favorite? I mean, I know you specialize a little bit, but. Well, the extra, (laughs) (laughs) the extra is just a magic carpet and um, it's a create your own roller coaster. If you want, it's a go fast. Mm -hmm. It's not exactly comfortable. It's very raw. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it's raw, it does exactly what you tell it to do, whether you mean to be doing, uh, telling it to do it or not. Uh, One of my favorite aircraft to fly actually was the Goodyear blimp. And I've flown both versions, the the Zeppelin and then the, uh, the previous dirigibles. Uh, And the, the, the early one before they went to the Zeppelin uh, was very interesting. It did not, it did nothing fast. You put in massive inputs and you just sat there and waited and it was super fun to grab a bunch of beta in flight and bring the thing to a stop and just hear the props and then just bring it back forward. Just a super awesome, unique experience uh, all around. And then the new Zeppelin has all thrust vectoring, rotor heads, uh, prop heads, and it's a, it's a side stick fly-by-wire thing. Super cool, but a completely different animal than, uh, than, the, other, than the other blimp. So this, it was such a different way of flying that it was, it was super fun. Is this the Goodyear blimp that's in Akron, Akron, Ohio? Yeah, so I flew both uh, the Spirit of Goodyear. I think they were both the uh, Spirit of Goodyear, Spirit of Akron, uh, November three Alpha and November two Alpha were the two that I flew, um, and I didn't get to fly the Zeppelin actually until it came out to Plymouth. They were doing a tire event uh, for some of the local uh, tire dealers, but my college uh, commercial and multi flight instructor was the chief pilot for the blimp. And so he called me and was like, Hey, we're going to wow. be in Boston. You want to come out? And I said, yeah. So I took the decathlon down and I gave all their pilots a ride in the decathlon and then they gave me a ride in, uh, in the blimp. And Very so cool. that was, that's how I got into that one. That was a lot of fun. So small world. Uh, the reason yeah. I mentioned Ohio, my wife is from Cleveland, from Macedonia. Oh, uh, very good. Yeah. So Kent is the nearest airport and her mm-hmm. uncle was actually a professor of, of art and painting at Kent State University. Ah, I definitely yeah. wouldn't have met him, but <laughs> that's awesome. It's really, right. It's a small world, right? It is. And it's a, it's a great little town. I really enjoy it. And when we flew up last year in the middle of the pandemic, we're like, we got to get away. So we actually uh, flew flew up uh, a Seneca and landed at Akron Field. And I didn't realize that Goodyear was right there. And there's the big, uh, the big hand yeah. and all that good stuff is like right there. Beautiful airport. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it is a super small world and a beautiful part of the country to fly around. Yeah, absolutely. 
And of course, I think most people that have had that have dabbled into aerobatics started with Zatabria, right? Uh, yeah. I'd say maybe 10 years ago, uh, we had an opportunity to bring uh, a super decathlon into the flight school here at Women Aviation at Opalak Airport. We brought it in because uh, at the time we had this great pilot, uh, Sasha, if you're out there uh, watching, he was, he's a Gulfstream pilot now, but he was Embry-Riddle aerobatic team. He's like, yeah, I'll be your... I'll be your upset trainer instructor. Uh, and my brother and I got a chance to go up there. Flat Sabra did my first Aleron rolls and all that kind of stuff. And nice. we were hooked. My brother signed up for Aerobatics Magazine. And we're like, yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> right? and there are street drugs that are cheaper than getting hooked on aerobatics. That's the problem. Right? Is it? It's a yeah, very expensive yeah. sport. I have to admit, though, I probably did like two aerobatic flights. And then, you know, life life happens, right? Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, after about a year, you know, he he did his transition and, and ended up flying corporate. So that's the time we got less and less work until you know we kind of pass it back to uh, to the owner. Um, yeah. So since then, I've gotten to 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 slip away a little bit. I was actually out in Vegas and flew uh, extra three hundred with the name escapes me right now. It's a great operator out there, but they sell it just like you said as a roller coaster without rails, right? Yeah. For you know all the thrill seekers in Las Vegas. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that makes sense, you know. But I'm a pilot. And I kind of want to. I've done a couple of aerobatic flights. So he's like, oh, great. So you know, we started getting a little bit deeper, starting to get a little technical, and like doing all this stuff. I shared the story with you before that a good aerobatic session is like maybe 20 minutes. Right? Maybe, yeah. Maybe, right? You kind of and, and you got to build up to that. You're taking a little bit softer training wise. Maybe you can do 30, 45 minutes. You're not. It's not like a air show routine, right? You were kind of introducing maneuvers. <laughs> and the extra would be out of gas mostly, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I did that. And then uh, he's like, hey, you want to fly the Red Rocks? Because the Red Rocks are right there outside of Vegas. Ooh, and I was like, yeah. sure, let's go check out the Red Rocks. Little did I know that after our 30 plus minute like workout, we were going to be doing loops and rolls all through the Red Rocks. Yeah. So after like an hour, I was like, I'm done. Turn it around. Point me back to the <laughs> That was that was pretty brave of him to take you through the Red Rocks, and it was uh, well done by you to to keep your lunch down. So uh, I applaud you, sir. Very good job. <laughs> most of it, I'd say. I, I kept most of it. Um, it was a beautiful experience, and you're absolutely right. It's just um, it's an engine with with wings. It does more than what uh, you're. You're right. You're kind of talking to it um, that you don't really know what you're saying. I think an untrained pilot is kind of saying more than, they're, than they realize. And the airplane will fully act on your inputs, yeah. right? Uh, and yeah. then some. So that's really where the expertise comes in. From, from somebody who, let's say you're, you're a Cessna pilot, you know, private pilot, maybe you've done your instrument. Like, would you jump right into an extra? Should you take that Satabria route? How long did it take to get comfortable? It, every pilot is different. And um, I just had this conversation um, a couple of weeks ago with a friend of mine who currently flies F-16s, but he's got no tailwheel time or at least very little. And he says, I want to buy one of these hot rods after I get out and, and, and have some fun with it, but I want to be safe. So what's my path? And so in his, in his five-year plan, in this specific case, I said, look, go out, get yourself a tailwheel endorsement find yourself a decathlon and get a hundred hours in the decathlon. Okay. That way you're proficient in the aerobatics, you're proficient in takeoffs and landings in an aircraft. That's not exactly helping you, but not trying to hurt you either. Um, 
like the Satabrid is friendly, the Decathlon's a little less friendly, and then the Extra is is very much a, uh, I will do exactly what you tell me, and I will do it right now. So if you're wrong, you're wrong quickly. Hmm. And then we'll transition in, in, into an Extra, and you'll pick it up in like five hours, and you'll be okay. Nice. Uh, to go from a 172 to Extra and Extra Proficient, um, I did have somebody transition to take off some landings at 125 hours and be safe in the aircraft uh, after about 15 hours. But that was us being very specific uh, and flying really just exactly ground reference maneuvers, steep turns, stalls, all the private pilot level stuff, and then coming back and doing five, six landings at a time. Uh, and then putting it back in the hangar. So those those flight profiles were very specific. You do this do this the same way every single time. And once I, he could demonstrate uh, um, routinely that he could do it, and I didn't have to do anything. I was just a passenger on the flight. I said, "Okay, go solo your airplane." So we'd met the insurance requirements, and he had, was at the proficiency that I held for a standard for being able to be safe in that aircraft. Uh, and then. We then worked on the acro side of things. So we'll get you comfortable, making sure you could take off and land in all kinds of conditions. I gave him crosswinds that you know, you're going to have to deal with in his area and uh, just made sure that, that he went flying on the days that were going to be the most challenging and that he was up to that challenge. And I gave him the tools in his toolbox to be able to do that before we really went out and hammered the acro side. That's good. You know, um, I forget who I was talking to about this, but they said that uh, we were talking about was it crosswinds or it was a type of airplane but that when you're with an instructor do the challenging things right when you're doing that flight review or whatever it is do the stuff that you're afraid of or that makes mm -hmm. makes you a little nervous right because you have an experienced instructor with you to, you know to help you kind of see where the edge is and yep. that's one of the things i love about aerobatics because you always talk about the edge the edge of the envelope this is the do not exceed right aerobatics is all about crossing that line you know, moving back and forth, kind of knowing where the line is and, and how far you can push it. Uh, so yeah. you don't really know where the line is until you've jumped right over it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And in aerobatics, it's beautiful because you learn about the entire envelope of the aircraft and the entire attitude envelope as well. As a private pilot, you work between 45 degrees of bank and 15 nose up and 10 nose down. As a commercial pilot, you work 60 to 60 mm -hmm. and 20, maybe 25 up, 10 down. Mm -hmm. Like, that's 11% of the flight attitude envelope. Yeah, it's pretty nice. That's a what do you do if you're in suddenly now a 15th percentile of the aerobatic or of the flight envelope and you don't know how to get back to the 11? That's a problem. And so in aerobatic training, you learn about every single position that the aircraft can be in those high, nose, low, upside down, upright, overbanked, all of that, and then how to get it back and how to manage the angle of attack, how to manage G-force. Uh, and that way you can keep yourself safe. You are safer as a pilot because you're now comfortable, more comfortable in those upset recoveries and as upset attitudes uh, to the point where we have anecdotes of uh, there was a, I think it was an MD-11 or a DC-10 that lost an engine coming out of O'Hare. Like the engine fell off the left wing yeah, and the airplane started to roll over on its back and the captain knew the right seater was a pits pilot and he goes your flight controls because whatever the captain was doing trying to hold the nose up by pulling back and trying to roll opposite wasn't helping the aircraft yeah. and so what the guy in the right seat did was he unloaded the wing now the wing doesn't have to support the weight of the aircraft 
Now it's got full aileron authority. All the work the wing is capable of doing can be now dedicated to roll. And so they were able to correct the roll, the bank angle, and get it back towards level flight and save the aircraft. And this was, I think, back in the late 80s, early 90s. But there are stories, at least, where a good cockpit crew understanding what the capabilities of each seat are can delegate in times of stress to the other person who's got more experience. And you look at Jeff Skiles and Sully, Jeff, that was Jeff's leg. Hmm. Sully took it. Okay. Well, yeah. he had more experience and we see how that turned out. So to go out and get this training <clears throat> that is outside of the normal path of private instrument, commercial, multi CFI, and then I get 1500 hours on a Madden airline sure. makes you a, a better candidate, a better prepared pilot, and better able to handle these situations that are completely outside the normal. And our safety record in the aviation world is so good because we do regiment everything. You fly in this box and you don't deviate from it from whatever, you know, from whatever uh, takeoff, cruise, descent, landing, from whatever phase of flight you're in. But things happen. Mother Nature doesn't care. and She'll take you outside that box. It's up to you to have the skills to be able to fix it. That's a great story about the, the Chicago flight. And you know what you make me think of? Uh, so right now we're in a, a special moment in the aviation industry, right? We went from a, a, a massive shortage where everyone was going through that straight pipeline, private instrument, commercial, CFI, handing over to the airline at 1,500 hours. And I have to admit, that's that's our main product here at Wayman Aviation. We take students yeah. from zero to hero in a year. You do another year, maybe two of an instructor, and we have five airline partners, right? Yeah. But right now we're in a moment, right, where there's there's still pilots that are furloughed. That pilot shortage is coming back really quickly, though. From I mean, I, I was talking to a VP of American Airlines Latin America just last Wednesday, and he said there is no pilot shortage. I'm hiring 300 pilots right now, right? Yeah. Uh, but for those of you that are out there and you find yourself, you know, maybe in that weird spot where you just got your CFI or you just got your commercial, you're not at the hours where to apply for the airlines. Now is the time to expand your personal envelope as a pilot, right? Now is the yeah. time to pick up that tailwheel rating, a little bit of aerobatic, you know, try your hand at gliders. Um, what's most important part of the resume is that you stay active and you stay current, right? And if you yeah. have it available to you to go out and do some Satabria flights or a tailwheel rating, it'll make you a better pilot, right? When, you, when you're faced with these situations, uh, keeps you current and, and seeing more of aviation because I think. There was a bit of a blinders situation there for five years where people are just like putting in the hours, you know, trying to get to, to that uh, six figure paycheck. But <laughs> this has given people, I think, uh, whether they want it or not, the space to explore aviation a little bit more. Yeah. And I've been flying. I've been in this industry now since 2003 and I wasn't paying attention to it early on. But uh, in the in the after about the fourth year, I started to realize that hiring was always this this uh, sinusoidal wave of, of ebb and flow where they're hiring everybody that's got a thousand hours and all of a sudden they're hiring nobody. Uh, I know a guy that got a Learjet job at 250 hours. That was back in 2005. And then starting 2008 with the uh, with the real heavy downturn of the economy, sure. everybody stopped hiring. And so now you had this this CFI pool, especially at the university level and at your, uh, like at your uh, location there, where you didn't have one year CFIs, you had guys that were there for two and three years. And in that time, 
they managed to gain a level of experience beyond definitely a, a brand new CFI. Yeah. And they were teaching better and better techniques, making better and better private pilots. So like I talked about earlier with the, with the World War II taking 200-hour pilots, putting them in P-51s, sure. you know, we had a, a, a ton mm-hmm. of pilots come out of World War II and enter into the teaching world and the airline world. And all the airplanes were tailwheel airplanes. You didn't really have tricycle gear airplanes yeah. till the 50s. And you made really safe pilots. Mm-hmm. And those really safe pilots made the next generation of flight instructors and the next generation of pilots. But let's say that from pilot, uh, from instructor A to pilot B, you have a, an instructor who's really good and they're able to communicate and transfer 90% of that instructor's skill into their student. And over the next five years, that pilot gets up to 95 or 98% of where that previous CFI was. And right. they make the next generation of CFI, who's now 90% of their 95%. That's true. That's so yeah, so you can see how generationally we get this decline, and then you throw in factors like adding tricycle gear to the airplane and making them easier to handle, and more autopilots and more technology. And I'm not saying that that stuff is. Now. I'm not saying automation is bad. I love it. Use it properly, yes. and still enhance your skills and, and your your hand flying skills. But you can see how generationally we get this loss. And so at the university, when the airlines were hiring everybody who got a thousand hours, mm-hmm. you would have the brand new CFIs teaching the brand new CFI candidates. So you'd have a 90 percenter teaching the next guy. Right. And they'd never really get up there. So I think it's actually kind of a good thing that we have these lulls in hiring where we? you can gain experience as a flight instructor, make a better pilots behind you and uh, never be afraid to be a four-year-old and ask why all the time. And that will help you master a craft and understanding. And and that's the great thing that students do to us flight instructors is they ask why all the time. And it's our job to not say, because I said so, but to actually go, here's why this is the pieces and parts, how it all interacts. And this is how it interacts with say steep turns and how steep turns affect your ground reference maneuvers and how ground reference maneuvers make your traffic patterns and your landings come from flying a good consistent traffic pattern and being in the same spot every single time over that runway where you do a power off stall at two inches. Oh, wow. Everything we do at 3000 feet AGL applies to the traffic pattern and making our, our landings uh, nice and smooth, you know? So yeah. there's, there's all these, yeah. Everything takes time, you know, that, that uh, synthesizing it and kind of making it your own. And I do have to say, uh, one of the silver linings of the current pause in hiring is just that. We do not have a single green instructor in the building. You know, everyone's a thousand hours plus, uh, you know, we're lucky to have had that extra year with our senior instructors. It's helped us kind of reinforce uh, a lot of our standards and our, our operating procedures and all these things. Big shout out to our team leaders um, who have really been putting in that effort to make it happen. And I know that the hiring is opening up, right? So we're probably going to lose a good portion of them, but it's bolstered the entire system, right? It's yeah. bolstered the entire system uh, because there was a moment there where I was pretty nervous and we were actively going out and recruiting retiring airline pilots and 135 pilots and saying, we need the senior guys that are not running off to the airlines to keep the standards, be our stage check pilots and, uh, you know, your assistant chiefs. There's probably uh, every flight school in the country probably has a part-time chief pilot because they're, for the most part, they were, 
you know, flying uh, 135s and uh, Gulf Streams and, or airlines on the side. Yeah. So it, it, it is a weird place right now in in the flight school industry. But so now, so you're you're with Michael Goulding now? Uh, or no. Prior. <laughs> so that was prior. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll run the slideshow here and we'll take you through. Um, okay. Yeah. A little bit of the history of oh, of course you opened the presenter view. <laughs> oh no, I'll so, change it here. Boom. This is exciting because we usually don't have presentations like this. So I'm going to kill my video here and let Rob take over the screen, and we get to see a little bit of what it's like to be at uh, Executive Flyers, Mike Goulian's Aerobatic School. Yep. And this is standby one. Let me just do. And for those this. of you out there on Facebook, uh, in the Zoom, on Twitch. Go ahead and put your, your questions in the chat, in the comments. We've got Yen checking the comments um, out on the Facebook, and he's going to feed them back to us so we can do a little bit of Q&A with Rob before the end of the hour. Yep, excellent. So this is, uh, this is actually my first aerobatic practice, and the gentleman that we're seeing on the right-hand side is a, is a, a former Air Force F-4 pilot and a retired FedEx uh, captain named Mark Nathanson, and he was the previous aerobatic instructor at Executive Flyers. Everything I, I have right now in my life is because he left. So oh. they were hiring. Oh. <laughs> and he's talking with Vanessa, who is a good friend of mine. She was she also worked for Executive Flyer. She's one of the first people I met out there. Uh, and they were good friends because they had worked together and they're two fantastic people. But like Mark and I are very good friends to this day. I have flown his airplanes all around the country. We've done formation flights together nice. and uh, just really awesome dude. He was at my wedding. Like He was a guest on the podcast. Uh, I think it was episode four, Fighter Pilot. Uh, he was the guest on. So, you know, everything that I have right now, including my wife, my son, my house <laughs> is because wow. he left, oh. uh, but still a cool dude still teaches aerobatics. He's a DPE. He got me into the DPE program. We'll talk about that a little later, but that was, that's Mark Nathanson. And so when he left, I had the opportunity to move out here to Boston and this is a shot of Boston Logan. I didn't work here, but I worked at uh, uh, Hanscom Field, which is just up the way. And then they moved the aerobatics program to Lawrence, and then they moved it to Beverly, and then they moved it back to Hanscom. Oh, my. And oh. <laughs> so I traveled where the airplane was, was going to be based. And I got to meet a ton of different people all along the way and have a lot of fun flying the 8 Kilo Charlie Alpha Bravo super decathlon and this is me at that uh that same i think this was actually at a contest at the same location uh and got to meet some really really cool people this is me at my first contest with uh the guy on the left in the green shirt and the bright green shirt is john shavinsky he was just starting out in aerobatics when i got hired he now is a co-owner in an extra 300l and uh, he's just awesome, dude. We've been roommates at several different contests. Awesome guy. Yeah. And then the gentleman on my right was my uh, another student of mine at the time. He was 17. His name was Rob Pinkston. Right. He is now the chief pilot for the Collings Foundation. Oh, and wow. he's checked out in their P-51, their P-40, their F-4U. I think they have one of those. Their Ooh. SNJs, the the B-17 that they they had, 909, which is unfortunately lost in an accident, yeah. uh, the B-25, the F-4, uh, their awesome. helicopters, the UH-1. Like, he flies all their stuff. Compound and here he is flying. at 17. That's great. Yeah. Uh, after a couple of years in the, X, in the decathlon, I got to transition into the extra 200. And this was an, uh, an owner's aircraft. 
who was good friends with the Gullian family, had been part of the school for years, and he just never flew the airplane. Mm-hmm. And so when he and I would go out and, and do some training in it, he would just go, he would say, okay, take me up to Maine, drop me off at my lake house and take the airplane home. And after a couple of months of that, he was like, you know, if you want to use the airplane, go ahead. So I just, I asked, Hey, can I take the contest? He said, yeah, sure. Excellent. And so I was uh, privileged enough to be able to start my, uh, my extra training and competing in this fabulous aircraft, which was an, it, it now that I know more <laughs> about setting up an airplane and control harmony and things like that, this was one of the most challenging airplanes to fly precisely um, because the controls were set up neutral to almost negative. So if you made a deflection and tried to come back to center, it had no problem going past. And so you had to be very precise with your control inputs and where you where you put that stick because it wasn't helping me at all. It was basically like trying to balance on top of uh, uh, on top of a needle the entire time that I was flying it. Well, and cool. I did manage to win some categories in a contest with this airplane, and it challenged me as a pilot to fly so precisely that now when I get into a more modern aircraft like the extra three thirty SC. This thing is a completely different animal in terms of both horsepower and control harmony. Uh, This particular aircraft here is Michael Goulian's airshow airplane, Mm -hmm. which he trusts me occasionally to ferry around the country. And I have more hours in this airplane than the last year than Michael does, because I picked it up in January of 2020 and took it to California from Florida. Then I picked it up in April in California took it back to uh, Massachusetts, then took it to the Houston Air Show. And then I just picked it up this year from uh, Sun and Fun, brought it back to Massachusetts and then back down to Florida last weekend or uh, last week to uh, for him to fly at the next air show. And this is a completely different animal in in its control. Question there about ferrying, right? So yeah, really curious about this because I'm sure you're fast as heck, but I can't imagine you have a whole lot of fuel. Like what's ferrying something like this? Uh, this aircraft holds about 60 gallons of gas in cross-country mode. Okay. It's got 25 gallons in just acro mode. So you're sacrificing about, uh, what's the math there, 35 gallons or so uh, of, of fuel when you just want to do airbags. So you don't want any fuel in the wings of these airplanes when you're doing it. Uh, as as strenuous aerobatics as Michael is doing with sure. it in an air show. So there's two center tanks that are for inverted flight and those hold about 25 gallons of gas and you're burning about 25 to 30 gallons an hour at, uh, at, at wide open at air show performance. When I'm in cross country mode, I'm about 15 gallons an hour. So with 60 gallons of gas, I got about four hours of endurance until it's empty. Of course, we're not going till it's empty. Right. We're only planning three and a half for our reserves. And uh, in that time, I can go 600 plus miles, depending on the winds in this aircraft. And generally, it'll outlast the bladder. So uh, <laughs> I generally want to land by the sure. by the time I'm at my reserve fuel or, or anything like that. But yeah, so that's uh, actually pretty, so it's actually a pretty good performance for, for cross country and shuttling around. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. It's about 190 knots ground speed, uh, while I'm cruising and, uh, 15 gallons an hour, right in that, right in that neighborhood. And yeah. the airplane is, uh, actually not all that bad to fly. It's got XM, uh, radio. So I got my helmet on with the, my, my, my bows and, and, uh, she just, she just rips, there's no heat. So mm-hmm. it can be cold, but you just rest for that. 
Sure, yeah, that's just additional weight you don't need. But from this picture, you can tell, I mean, it's like engine and that cockpit's just hanging on. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So there's a little space behind my head for bags. And usually my helmet bag goes in there. And then in between my feet, there's a space where really nothing's going on and my backpack goes in there. So uh, and you wedge water bottles around to uh, the, the uh, in between the frame rails, just to make sure that you have something to drink while you're there. And I don't dare, I don't dare eat in the thing because I don't want to get any crumbs anywhere. And if Michael <laughs> rolls over and it's all of a sudden, you know, granola on the canopy, he's not going to be happy with me, but uh, the airplane is, is an absolute ripper. It's a fun performer. And you know, everywhere you go, it gets attention awesome. and it, it, uh, it draws people over and, and it's, it's an opportunity to be, um, while I'm not sponsored by Bose or Cirrus or, or wheel and aerospace technologies or anything like that, if you're in the aircraft, you're a representative sure. and that customer's experience, that person's experience, whether they're a customer or not, uh, it, it, their view of the brand is going to be reflected on how you are. So I'm always saying hi to people and shaking hands and, and saying, yeah, take photos of the airplane. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I want people to do that. I want them to, um, uh, I want them to have that positive experience with it. And so, you know, if Michael goes to an air show, this person shows up and goes, Hey, I saw your airplane in Virginia and uh, it was really cool. It's nice to meet you. And he's going to be like, yeah, how was the ferry pilot? Was he a jerk? No, that guy was awesome. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> so, you know, and, and uh, if they show up and they're like, you know, wheel and aerospace, I met that guy. He was, a, he was a jerk and you, know, you can't have that. Can't have that. No, so, you know, but this airplane is, is, uh, is absolutely awesome. The 330 SC, um, it's, it's got an experimental engine, it's probably about 350 plus horsepower That's and, um, makes a lot of noise, which makes it really good for the air show world. And he's got an extra smoke tank. So he carries extra, uh, smoke oil with extra smoke injectors. So it makes a nice, nice thick plume of smoke coming out the back of the, uh, back of the aircraft while he's performing. And, and that really makes for a, a great, great show. And Michael does a, a very, very good job. Yeah, he does. Wonderful job. And then uh, the other person who's a big part of this, this was my business partner, Matt, who's a student of mine. He's the perpetual student pilot. Uh, <laughs> but here we are on a trip to the Udbar Hazi Center in a 172. And this was like the first real extended period of time together where we uh, made a friendship and decided to start a business together. And he was a, one of my groomsmen at my wedding, like just been a really awesome dude. And, and uh, he's part of the podcast as well as Spread Aviation, uh, which you can find on uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as spreadaviation.com. So check out episodes with uh, with Matt and I in the, in the podcast. Yeah, all your pilots out there, check it out. It's a great podcast. And actually, it's a good time to mention that this show, Inside Aviation, officially launched its podcast version last month. Uh, and we're on Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. Look us up, Inside Aviation. Very good. All right. That was an excellent, um, excellent presentation. Uh, just kind of photos to kind of give uh, some context to what we're talking about. That's really nice. Um, yeah. So let's see if we have any questions cooking up here. Let's see. So we've got Alan Miles, I think, on our Facebook, who uh, wants to know uh, if there's any flight, aerobatic flight training in South Florida. Now, I'm aware of a Dr. Fox in Tamiami who flies an extra 300. He does some spin training. But actually, I don't think it's the right, the, the right equipment for spin training if you want to be a CFI. And I feel like spin training, if you want to be a CFI, should be done. Like in a Cessna 152, the, like what you're going to be training in, right? Because the idea is to help. Uh, if, if a student gets into a situation that you're ready to help there. Now, do you have a different opinion on that, Rob? Or? 
I do. <laughs> and it, you're not necessarily wrong in the in the mindset of a train in what you're going to be flying. Mm-hmm. Um, what I don't really like is I don't like the tool for the job. I've spun Cessna 152s, 172s. And in my professional opinion, they get into the incipient mode of a spin and they kind of stay there. And it's more like a spiral. And we have seen in uh, at Kent State University, we actually had a safety stand down because the 152 that was being used and we had cockpit video, which was this was unheard of in 2007 or 2008. Uh, but they'd figured out how to mount a camera and record this thing because they were in a spiral mode instead of uh, a spin mode where the wing is stalled and drag is very, very high and airspeed stays low. The airspeed got up really, really high and exceeded VNE during the recovery. But the other bad thing about that is they were into uh, what's um, asymmetrical loading. So they were rolling and pulling all at the same time. So the aircraft was was rolling and pulling, yeah, whereas even. we just want to roll, then pull. Okay. Uh, and so we had this video of the aircraft exceeding BNE and being stressed asymmetrically. Uh, and we ended up taking a really close look at that airplane uh, in maintenance. Um, but what it came down to in, in my mind was we weren't using the best tool for the job. We were using the best tool that we had. And I spent about six months with, uh, with a buddy of mine, Tyler Kahn, who also went through the table and aerobatics program in Ohio, um, going with putting together a program for the university to buy a super decathlon. And we were going to be the, uh, the instructors for that. We'd provide tailwheel, basic acro, UPRT, do all the stuff that we didn't want to stress our Cessnas with in this aircraft, as well as providing a higher value to our students. And um, the, our timing probably sucked because it was like 2009 and mm. everybody was worried about money. But uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get that to, to go. So I recommend highly using a tool that's designed for the job. And the decathlon is great for that. The Cetabria is okay-ish. Uh, I'd just rather have a stronger airframe. Uh, the Cap 10s, there's some places that use Cap 10Bs. Uh, even those are getting up there in age right now. Um, but I do know that Scott Farnsworth, uh, he's just north yeah, of... West Palm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's putting together a program with a decathlon. They just got that online. Uh, I know that they're going to do a good job. I haven't been through the program, but this is one of those things. This is one of those types of training where it's, it's easy to have an overstress accidentally. And even I, who was doing um, uh, upset recovery with a CFI in the decathlon, I called recover on a nose low recovery. And we start that at like 80 knots. I put him into the maneuver super, super slow. And then I give it to him right away. And he sat there and froze and he got the, he finally kind of came around and got the wings upright and he centered the stick and he still froze. And I'm watching the airspeed just ripping along. I'm like, okay, come on, buddy. Come on, pull, pull, pull. And I'm giving him every opportunity to do it. And I'm the type of instructor who will wait Sure. Uh, and and allow them the opportunity to make the mistakes, see the see the uh, uh, the conditions, and then recover from it. Like do their do their own thing, and, and I'm not going to take it from them because I don't think that helps them to learn. Mm-hmm. But I'll take that to the last minute. And we were getting real close to VNE when I finally grabbed the throttle and brought the G on slowly, and that that G coming on increases induced drag, which freezes the airspeed indicator. Uh, 
And it's like, okay, well, you're an experienced pilot. You now saw this environment for the first time. And this was your reaction to it. Okay, let's digest that. Let's move on to the next one. And let's do better next time. It's okay to make mistakes. And I'm there so that they can make those mistakes in a safe environment. So Mm -hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of the 172 because of its characteristics. And it's not the strongest tool. And I don't like... I don't feel good putting that back on the line, you know, uh, okay. especially after an event like that. But if it's the tool that you've got, mm-hmm. there just needs to be special care, special training, maybe a handful of CFIs. Not everybody can teach, you know, the spin training, but just a handful of experienced, certified, trained individuals using the tool the best they can to get good quality training out of it. Uh, it can go a long way. So that's that's my long answer to that one. No, that was a great answer. That was a great answer. Uh, and that was actually my question versus his question. His question was where to get flight training Scott Farnsworth. I was not aware that he was putting something together. I know he flies uh, uh, the albatrosses, right? The Yep. Yeah, uh, he's got an L-39. And I don't know if he still has the extreme airs, but he had a couple of XA-42s. Mm-hmm. And this was just on Facebook like a week or so ago um, where they have a decathlon and a flight instructor uh, coming on uh, for that. Very nice. All right. So I have to check that out. Uh, yeah, it's a nearby program. Uh, down in 10 Miami, Dr. Fox uh, does extra 300. Uh, I don't know if he does aerobatic training, but he does spins and, and things like that. So I imagine he probably moves a little bit further if you're good at it. And then, of course, there's Patty Wax up in St. Augustine. But how can somebody work with you if they want to work with you? You got to buy an airplane, unfortunately. Uh, right now, I only work with aircraft owners. So I travel around the country and uh, give transition training in mainly extras uh, and super decathlons. Um, and I'm busy enough doing that right now that excellent. Uh, I'm, I'm away from home a little more than the wife wants me to, especially with the 10 week old uh, uh, little baby. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, but it, it's been it's been very unique. And so that kind of what I do now is built on my experience that I had with Michael Goulian at the flight school there, where I started out, I was hired to be the aerobatic instructor. Mm-hmm. But I had all this other experience and ratings and experience in the 141 world that I moved into, okay, you're the, now the director of standards and safety. Mm-hmm. And then when the school got sold, uh, it was, okay, well, now you're going to be the 141 assistant chief flight instructor. You're going to go take a check ride. Okay, great. And I did that for a year. And um, there just started to be things happening outside of the 141 world, my flight instructing world there, where I was getting busier and busier outside of the school. And I wasn't willing to forgive the language half-ass what I was doing outside with spread aviation and at the flight school, that's dangerous. And it's not, uh, it's not fair to the client who's paying good money to come out and and fly with me. And uh, so a very hard decision was made to leave the 141 world and try to, to, to go out on my own with spread aviation and, uh, and make a living at it. And so part of that has been the podcasting, uh, the Monday night live streams on Twitch, uh, check us out, Spread Aviation on Twitch, and flying with customers. Every Monday night at 8 p.m., I'd like to do it more, but the Monday night at 8 p.m., because that's when The Bachelor was on, and my <laughs> wife wanted to watch The Bachelor, and I didn't. So I was like, oh, honey, I got to go do this thing. So for, for a while there, we were sponsored by ABC's The Bachelor. <laughs> Uh, but that has led to opportunities instructing all kinds of different people all around the country, uh, both in aircraft and virtually. 
uh, in, uh, in my, my favorite game, DCS World. And uh, now occasionally I play Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020, which I have some strong opinions on yeah. how they call that a flight simulator. But <laughs> uh, it's, it's been just an absolute blast. And uh, Mark Nathanson, who we saw on the first slide, mm-hmm. um, has he's a DPE and he's very busy and he's been pushing Boston Fizda to get me in to be a DPE. That's and, uh, I'd be, I'd be done by now if it weren't for coronavirus. I think a lot of people would be at different places in their lives right now if it weren't for coronavirus. Uh, but, uh, things are getting fired back up here in this area. So hopefully that'll happen by, I don't know, I'll, I'll be optimistic and, or maybe that's pessimistic by the end of 2021, uh, I'll be a DPE out here and, and be able to give check rides as well. That's excellent. And, I think uh, people would be very happy to have you in as, as an examiner. Uh, yeah. But just to build off that, that prior question, uh, I think anybody that's watching, you know, whether now or the Twitch or the Facebook or in the future, take a quick look around, right? Ask around at the FBOs, ask around at the flight schools. You will find that most places have a guy with, uh, with a decathlon. You know, you're lucky to find someone with, a, with an extra or a pits or something like that. And these are some of the most passionate aviators I know, right? Because it's the fun flying, right? It's the out there, seat of your pants, like this is what an airplane can do, right? Yeah. I have a guy here on the field, um, uh, Peter, who does uh, pits rides for foster kids. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's how he introduces people to aviation. And I just thought that's the best thing in the world, right? And, uh, and so you're going to find people like that if you hang out at any airport in the hangars, like what you got in there, <laughs> right? Yeah. People have some beautiful planes. Um, so yes, there's some wonderful aerobatic programs out there, but they're few and far in between. I can't really think of too many like official uh, aerobatic programs other than like Patty's in St. Augustine, uh, Patty Waxup in St. Augustine, or it sounds like uh, Mike Williams not involved with executive flyers anymore. No. So executive flyers, uh, it started in 1964 and then it ended in 2018. Uh-huh. Uh, it was absorbed by Horizon Aviation out of Providence. Uh, they bought the they bought the school and the aircraft assets and everything. Uh, but it, after uh, uh, a couple of months operating in a very expensive area, Hanscom Field, there's there's a very high cost of operation. Uh, to be in there, they said, you know what, this doesn't make sense. We're uh, we're not going to keep uh, this place open when we can take the assets and go to, to a much cheaper airport and operate. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, that's what they did. And I went with them. Um, I moved to the other airport, which was twice as far away, but turned out the drive was four times as long because of Boston traffic. Oh, uh, lovely traffic. <laughs> but I did that for a year and uh, at the new location. And it was, uh, I learned a ton. I met some awesome people. I loved working for uh, Horizon Aviation and the owners out there. They were awesome. And uh, that was, that was why the decision to leave was so hard. It was because it was, it was working for great people. And it's easy to leave a a crummy situation, you know, but, um, but yeah, so Mike Goulian doesn't have a a full-blown acro program. He is exploding in the Cirrus world, however, in New England. Uh, I think he's opening his third location uh, up in Laconia, New Hampshire. They're hiring uh, flight instructors. And I think there's going to be a fourth location, not in New England, opening soon. But I don't have uh, uh, enough information to talk about that. And Cirrus Uh, is a powerful airplane, too. But I guess that's a whole other conversation. Uh, to put a pin yeah. in that one, though, you'll find that the vast majority of aerobatic instruction is independent. It's a, it's one-on-one, it's independent, and that's honestly risk and liability, right? A big flight school, uh, it, it's tough to, to get the insurance and, and wrap around it when you have 
you know, the production line of private instrument commercial. So you find that usually it's dedicated operators that have uh, have their plane and and teach aerobatics. But I feel like every every pilot should go out there, not just to spin training that you have to do for CFI if you're doing if you're going that route, but to really go out there and kind of push the limits and and get to know the airplane. Um, yeah. Kind of coming to the end of our hour, Rob. I mean, if you had to share a few nuggets of wisdom that you've learned from the aerobatic world uh, to to a, an aspiring pilot, somebody coming up to the ranks, what, what would you say? Well, for uh, more information, check out IAC.org. That's the International Aerobatics Club. And they have uh, links in there for how to get started, finding local uh, schools near you. And you can sort by state. And uh, they have listings for everybody that well, I can't say everybody, but everybody that is affiliated with the IAC and uh, where do you want to get that training. Um, never stop being a four-year-old and four-year-olds ask why. Uh, and that's how we really get to the root of understanding of the uh, of whatever we're whatever we're we're working on talking about or trying to accomplish, and if we talk about levels of learning, uh, rote understanding, application, correlation, if we can't understand it, it gets very hard to apply and impossible to correlate. Uh, so find yourself a good instructor who challenges you, doesn't just. I don't want to say take your money, but uh, isn't just occupying the right seat of the aircraft while you fly, Very but fun. find a flight instructor who challenges you to hold you to a high standard. And uh, it, it, don't be afraid also to, to go up with a flight instructor, whether you're a student or a rated pilot uh, or not, and go up into those conditions that make you maybe uncomfortable, get with that experienced person and say, you know what, I'm weak at this can you help me? And sure. hopefully they can, or hopefully they can at least point you to someone who can. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and those are my, uh, those are my big keys. Oh, and if you're going to go on an aerobatic ride, eat something first, don't go on an empty stomach, you will get sick. So uh, make sure you get your blood sugar up just a little bit before you take that first acro ride. Uh, don't uh, eat. Yeah, eat till you're not thinking about your stomach either way. You're not too full. You're not still hungry. And uh, keep that ride to less than 10 minutes. <laughs> yes, that's I definitely recommend that. You know, that's a good point. We didn't even touch on IAC because you're also an aerobatic judge, I saw. Yep, I'm a judge, a coach. And that was what I was doing last weekend was critiquing uh, for the local IAC chapter. They had a practice day and uh, I don't have an airplane. So I sit on the ground and I get on the radio and I help the other pilots make their maneuvers look like they're supposed to look. And uh, I had a couple of people, the organizer uh, for the event and another gentleman who was, uh, I think he's, uh, he's a longtime uh, IAC member for that chapter. We're out at the judges table with me. And there were a couple of times where I watched an airplane fly a figure and I said, okay, I need you to make these changes in the stick input. And then they came back around and they flew it perfect. And I'm just going, yes, yes, <laughs> because I was able to communicate to someone else in another airplane and make them make a 3D path in the sky. That was exactly what I wanted it to be, was That's exactly what they wanted it to be. And that uh, I was super pumped up about uh, about that. So yeah. uh, while I wasn't in the cockpit and I wasn't feeling the G, I did get to have an impact and a change, and uh, I, I got a lot of enjoyment out of that. That's wonderful, Rob. And I and I hear the the passion and the enjoyment you get out of aviation and what you're doing. I certainly hope that anyone that's watching uh, and, and starting their steps into aviation gets that passion and that joy out of it. 
Uh, Rob, once again, how can people get a hold of you and spread aviation? Yeah, so spread aviation. Give us a like, follow, subscribe on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can reach us that way pretty well. Head over to spreadaviation.com and check out what we got going on right there. And if you have any questions or comments uh, for me, send an email to hello at spreadaviation.com. Very nice. Very nice. And you can find uh, Wayman at wayman.edu is our website and at Wayman Aviation on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and just about everywhere else at Wayman Aviation. I certainly hope uh, you good luck on all your aviation endeavors. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for having me and everybody out there. Fly safe. Have a great afternoon. This series is brought to you by Wayman Aviation Academy. Learn to fly with a safe, reliable, professional academy located between Miami and Fort Lauderdale in sunny South Florida, USA. Enjoy the training and cosmopolitan life with Wayman's 42 aircraft, six airline partners, and two bases to help you be the captain.